Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. My name is Conrad Carroll. Um, I'm the youth pastor here, and they trusted me to do the Bible teaching today. So, <laughs> so you are in for a treat. Um, today... Uh, we are continuing a series through the Gospel of John. Um, last week, Charles Ritchie did an amazing job of teaching us about thankfulness and what it means to even truly have thankfulness to the Lord for what he's done in our lives. Um, and it was, a little, it was a little pause from the, the Gospel of John series, and now we are back in it. And we are going to be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and our title for this morning is Jesus' Way which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue super great, but that's not the point. Uh, Jesus' way. That, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, so now would actually be a great time to scramble for a Bible if you're at home. You can probably use your phone or maybe. But there also, if you're here in the room, you can raise your hand. Oh, we, we don't have, we're, at, we're out of Bibles. Is that what you're saying to me? We got one, but okay, okay. Well, uh, socially distance, lean over to your neighbor and share the page. Get on a pair of binoculars and lean in. Or better yet, uh, technology is so fantastic that you can just pull out your phone and click over to the Bible app. Now is a great time to do that. Uh, I was just thinking about the fact that we have probably more than half of our church family is joining us virtually from home. So, hey, we, you are equally welcome here. Um, but then it's also like, that's weird because it's pretty much like teleportation. You know, there they are, here, like, in the room with us. Oh, we have one more Bible that is the, the NLT we're reading out of, so if you need one, there we go. All right, it's already taken. Um, so we are, we're going to read together in, in, the mo- in a moment. Uh, and also, if you have that, that Bible, um, but you don't have one at home, if you're borrowing it, it'll magically turn from a loan into a gift, just like that. You can take that home. Uh, before we dive into the scripture, to the reading, I, I want to pause because I am going to say some things today uh, that some of you will not be offended <laughs> by in the slightest at, at all because I'm saying exactly what you hope someone would say who's presenting the scripture. Some of you, that's you, but other of you will be just totally uncomfortable with what we're about to get into. And this is how, this is like every time someone presents the word of God. There are people who are super excited, people who are like, well, that's not... Uh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not trying to make. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. Uh, but honestly, like whether you're a Christian or not, you might have you might have been raised by Christian parents, like accepted Jesus as your Lord when you were six, and you haven't missed a Sunday except for that one time that you broke your arm before church when you were twelve. Like that might be you, or you might. This might literally be the first time that you are in a church building or joining virtually. Maybe you're sitting on the couch at home. Because grandma is like, no, just, just sit with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here participating in church. You need to be with me. And you're kind of just like sitting there with arms crossed. And you're like, Ugh. There are many times when people are like forced to go to a church gathering. Um, and that might be you today. And I, I, just, I just need to say that you will miss what God is going to say to you today. Unless... Unless our ears are open to the Holy Spirit. Because if our ears are closed to the Holy Spirit, all you're going to hear today is the ramblings of a 26-year-old man. 
And I don't even want to hear that. Like, I'm not even interested. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I plea with you. I, I'm going to, I want you to pray with me that, that God would open our ears. Because you might be absolutely in love with Jesus, and he's still tweaking and working in your heart, and you need to be able to hear his Holy Spirit. And you might be entirely antagonistic to Jesus, and you're, and, and you're not interested in him at all. But I want to ask you to have your ears open, because you're already here. What else are you going to do for the next half hour? So, so pray with me. Lord God, I thank you Yeah, that you are the God of miracles, that you have done such great things, Lord, that we can read the scripture, pour over it, and just see time and time again of how you have taken an insurmountable obstacle and you plowed right through it with your power. Um, And God, we don't even have to just look at the scripture for all of those examples, God. We can think back to this last week. We can think back to the last two years, our, our, our childhood. God, we can see you moving in our lives, God. And the most powerful miracle is that you changed our hearts from being a hard stone heart to a soft, receptive, loving heart, God. And that is the work that only you can do, God. With I see it all the time with all of these protests that people are working to change each other's minds, and that is a good and noble task. But God, you are the only one who can change the heart. And we thank you, God. And I pray today that you would allow our ears to be open. God, you would allow our hearts to be receptive. God, allow us to receive what you have to say. Allow us to receive the Holy Spirit today. We love you. We pray all this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we dive in, I'm just going to give us a little bit of background. I have actually the pretty unique privilege, at least for me, of being the person who preached the last section also. So I, was, I just preached the end of uh, John chapter 6. Charles took a little break and, and we went someplace else uh, into Luke. And, and now we're back at the beginning of chapter 7. So I, I'm like, I, I've got this recap down. It's a 45-minute message that you can watch online. Uh, But just as a quick little recap, in John chapter 6, Jesus was here at that red dot, uh, Capernaum, um, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Oh, you know what? There's something I forgot to do. I was really hoping to like take a screen capture of my phone and just zoom out from Citrus Heights, scroll all the way over to Israel and zoom in just so it's like, look, it's on the other side of the world. It's on the eastern part of that, on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a real place. And sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's just like, oh, another name of another town someplace. Okay. But that is where Jesus is, is Capernaum. Uh, and uh, here is a bigger map of Israel um, this is ancient Israel, and I think I have a red dot. Yeah, there's Capernaum up there. Yes, he walked across the water uh, right there. That is That was about three weeks ago we talked about that. Um, and this is where Jesus is about to go in uh, our passage, or actually a little bit after our passage, but there's, there's Capernaum, and down there is Jerusalem. Um, but the interesting thing is that Jesus stays in Galilee, um, for, for uh, actually, let me just show you Jerusalem real quick. This is a 1 to 50 scale model of what ancient Jerusalem would have looked like. There's the temple. This is like on display on a Holy Land tour in Israel. I wasn't there. I just got this from Google. So thank you, Google, for 
taking me to Israel. Uh, so that's what ancient Israel looks like. This is what modern day Israel looks like. Um, and our passage in chapter 7 is the beginning of a, t- of a, a uh, festival called, in, in our scripture here in the NLT, it'll call it the Festival of Shelters. It's also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. In Hebrew, it's called Sukkot. And, or Sukkot. Sukkot. And uh, this is what it looks like. They build, this is actually in Israel, this is an example of what they might build. They build like these temporary structures that they live in for a week. It's pretty cool. I like camping. I don't know about you, but um, so I would be so down for that. But we're going to see in our passage that there's this, it's, our passage is an argument between Jesus and his brothers. And they're like, Jesus, you should go. And he's like, I'm not going to go. And then he does go. <laughs> That's, that is the very Cliff Notes version of, of what's going on. Yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, Jesus is, is getting ready to go into Jerusalem to this Passover, or to this uh, Sukkot festival. But the passage that we read in John chapter 6 was the Passover festival. It was right about that time. So in like two verses, six and a half months have passed between Passover and, um, and Sukkot. And I just need to say that we're, we're reading out of the Gospel of John. John's whole goal here is not to create a, uh, you know, word-for-word exact history of what Jesus' life looked like and every single moment of what he did. There are three other Gospels that were already written when John was writing his Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all gave really detailed accounts of tons of stuff that Jesus did. And a lot of them even even document what happened in between this Passover and this Sukkot, this six and a half month gap. You can find all, pretty much all this stuff that Jesus was doing, um, but John has a different goal. He's like, look, you can read about that anywhere else. Here, I want to just show you the very heart of God. I want to show you what Jesus was actually like. I want to show you him, show you his love, show you his, his peace that he offers, the, the, the true nature of who he is. That's John's goal. And so as we are going to read, you're going to see that. But what happens in our passage is in that six and a half months, Jesus was walking around Galilee doing work, ministering to people. And then that's, that's where we're going to arrive at this time. So let's read together John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. And I just want to say, I gave a long introduction. So if you aren't already turned there, I'm a little, I'm a little worried. <laughs> you had all the time in the world. But here you go. Let's read together. (laughs) And this is in the NLT. It says this. After this, which was the whole thing with the eating of, you know, Jesus fed the 5,000, walked across the water, and then he said, I am the bread of life. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. And Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go. But you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me, because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. 
There's our passage. And I would like to say that, yeah, I'm going to lean into the, the next passage a little bit here. Jesus does end up going. He does go. He shows up in the middle of the feast. And people are like, did Jesus just tell a lie? Did he tell his brothers he's not going? And then he does go? What Jesus here says, I've been looking at the commentaries and people who know a whole lot more about the Greek language than, than I do. And, but, but he's saying, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm not going to do it that way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do it my way. And it says that he, he went up in, in Galilee. And, or when his brothers went up, so did he. He went up. But he had more work to do there in Galilee before he was going to head down. He didn't make the pilgrimage with his brothers, but he went in secret is what it says. So I just wanted to clarify, Jesus wasn't lying. He's just saying, the way that you want me to do things is not how I am going to do things. Um, because Jesus has unconventional logic. Um, Jesus does what he wants. Jesus does what he wants. Here's one of those things that I don't know who you are exactly, but uh, you might love this or you might hate this. If you, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you're like, yes, my king does what he wants. That's what I'm talking about. And if you're kind of new to the gospel, you're like, you want me to just trust this guy who does whatever he wants? Whenever I do whatever I want, my parents get mad at me. Like, I don't, that's not how things work. You can't just do whatever you want. Jesus is the son of the living God. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but here's the thing. I, I gotta, I gotta, um, I've been reading Psalm 115. And, and it has this, this, this verse that says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And that's, this is David writing this psalm. And it's in response to, to him saying, oh, the people out there, they say, where is your God? And he's like, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. This is who he is. And according to that psalm, what Jesus, what, what God wants to do, the God in the heavens who does whatever he pleases, what he wants to do is prove again and again that idol worship is futile. It is worthless. He wants to be a help and a shield to his people. He wants to remember his people. He wants to bless those who would fear him, who would trust him. And he wants to give the earth to the children of man. According to Psalm 115, that is what God wants to do. And I would submit to you that what God wants to do is what happens, is whatever happens. You and I are all, we're here, and there are some of us who are super excited about Jesus, and there are plenty who also are not super excited about Jesus, and that is because that is what God wants. Now, sorry, sorry you, you just got to hear me out here. God doesn't want robots, right? And this is, this is the whole, there's a whole argument about like, do we actually have free will or do we just do whatever God tells us to do? And is that how that is or what? But we were placed in the Garden of Eden. This is Adam and Eve. Adam was placed there. Eve was created from his side. And they were created by God in his image, made to worship him, made to love him, made to be near to him. And yet there was another desire that they had for something other than God. There was a desire for 
the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Like that's what, they, they had a desire for that as well. So why on earth did they have that desire except that God gave them that desire? God wasn't just, you know, messing around with some clay and then, ha, huh, ha, huh, person, I accidentally made a person. No, he designed, he created, he crafted. And we have these desires for very, very good things that draw us near to God. And then we also have desires for these very, very, what Jesus calls evil, these things that take us away from God, this, this sinfulness that is the, the gap that, that creates between us and God. We have that desire inside of us. That is something that is inside of us. Why does that exist? Why? I don't want it. Like, when, when I love God, the last thing I want is the sin. But then still there's a desire for things that draw me away from him. Why is it there? And it's because God made it. I don't have all the answers because I am not God. But I will tell you that he designed us with desires for very good things and desires for very, very sinful things. So, God created us with a choice. And I'm not trying to fuddle with this argument here, but I, but I am saying that, that he created us with good and bad desires. And, and that, that is what he wants to do. He made us so that there would be people who would use all of their creativity to create amazing, beautiful things that glorify God. But then there were also people who would use their creativity to create entire kingdoms that just destroy humanity and crumble it down to the existence of animals and, and treat each other like dogs. And, and both of those things happen. And apparently that is what God wants, is for each person to have a choice, for each person to decide, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And I think we can each attest that that is the life that we live. It is choice after choice, moment after moment of like, am I going to be near to him or am I going to be far away from him? Am I going to do things that please God, that, that make the, the heart of my father happy? Or am I going to do things that just bring me momentary pleasure? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And that's what God wants, is for us to be with, stuck there with a choice. And I... I can't say exactly why, because God has his reasons. Our God is in the heavens. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. He does whatever he wants. But I can say that part of, some, part of it that makes some sense to me, which doesn't really matter, but is that when, when you choose something on your own, it means something more. It's almost like, would you rather pay for a car yourself or be given a car. It's like, well, give me the car. I just want it. But it means something different when you earn the money and you pay for it and you're making the payments and you're, you know, doing the oil changes and all that stuff. When you do it yourself, it just means something different. So I think maybe kind of that's sort of maybe why we have desires for good and for evil things. But the point of all of that is that Jesus, just like God, who does whatever he wants, Jesus does what he wants. And he will not be strong-armed. We read the scriptures. Jesus' Jesus's brothers are here to try to, like, maybe for good reasons, maybe for bad reasons, whatever. They're like, go be famous. Go into the world. And he's like, thank you, but no. I'm going to do things my way. And if I said that, I would... It'd be bad, but Jesus saying it is something totally different. Um, 
But this whole thing about God doing whatever he wants, some people might say, like, I just can't believe in a God like that. And one, I'm sorry, but my disagreement with who God is does not affect his existence. I might not like what he does, or I might not like the way he goes about things, or the, the choices that he made, or his design and everything, but it doesn't change if he exists or not. So there's that. But then there's also the issue of trusting. And I just want to say it's an incomplete picture of who God is to say, oh, well, he created evil. So I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can serve a God like that. Are you telling me that God has wrath? Telling me that God has anger and jealousy? I don't think I could serve a God like that. But I'm just saying, like, what good parent does not have anger when their kid wanders into the street? You bring your kid over and you say, do not do that. Don't. Bad. <laughs> you know, you, there, there's frustration because you love, you care so much. And unfortunately, the, hey, Jimmy, it'd be good if you would get out of the street, that's just not going to cut it because they're already in the street and a car is coming like that. It, like good parents care for their children and have anger and good parents care for their children. And when their children are like, I'm going to go do what I want. I'm actually, I'm going to have this person be my dad. You better bet there's going to be some jealousy that just says, no, that's my kid. That's my kid. You can't, no, you can't have them. No, they're mine. And yeah, you can bet that a parent is going to have wrath when you constantly disobey them and just say, hey, dad, I'm going into the street. I'm going into the street. And you say, they're like, Jimmy, come back. Come back here, Jimmy. Jimmy, you better. Hey, come on. Look, you know what's going to happen. And you can bet that a loving parent is going to have those things. And so maybe the picture that we have of God that says, oh, he created evil. Oh, he, he has wrath. Oh, he, he has this vengeance and he has this jealousy. Maybe we don't have the full picture of who he is if we just say, I can't serve a God like that. Because I, I don't want to just sit here and tell you about Jesus. I have this issue where I talk too much. And my whole purpose in even presenting the words to you here is to inspire you to know God. I don't want to sit here and just teach you about who God is. I want you to actually know him. And, and I can't make that happen. Only you and God can make that happen. I could introduce two people to each other, but if I turn away and then they stop talking, like, I can't control that. They, there is a relationship there that you have to foster, that you have to develop. And, like, that's my greatest joy in the world, is if someone else would, would see God and know him and know the truth of who he is. A little bit more on uh, disagreeing with who God is. Uh, this is a scatter plot. Uh, does anyone ever, yeah, anyone ever see, you know, it's a, it's the, it's a math graph thing. There's my dad in the back waving his hand saying, I am a math teacher. I have taught kids how to use one of these before, but this is a scatter plot. It is like you're, you're receiving data and you're just, you're graphing it. And, and, and so you just plot the points on the graph wherever he goes. I'm sorry if this is too nerdy, but, uh, I do have a little bit of nerd in me. And so it's, you're seeing it right now. So here we go. There's one scatter plot. Here is another type of scatter plot. Here is another one. You, you kind of get the idea. You just plot the points wherever they go. And here's a, oh, there's lots of dots on that one. With, with, <laughs> with scatter plots, you can kind of usually see the trajectory of where they are going. So 
So they have this thing called the line of best fit, or here it calls the trend line. You see that dashed line there? There are these points, and you're like, well, based on where all of these points are, I think I can predict the trajectory of where things are going. And this is like God and his actions. I'm not saying this is exactly like him. You don't try to graph God. It's a bad idea. But, but his actions, he does whatever he wants. He could arrive at any point on that graph, any place he wants. He does whatever he wants. But we do see a trend of what his character is. And there's a problem that, that ancient Jews had and that, and that Messianic Jews had and that Christians today have where we try to anticipate God's trend line. We try to anticipate the line of best fit, saying, I have seen some of God's character. Let me draw a line, and I will tell you where God is going. And you can begin to worship the trend line. You can begin to worship the line of best fit that says, I will serve and love the God who, go, who is going exactly where I expect him to go. And I would just like to say, that is not God. That's not. That isn't a God of your imagination, right? God of your own imagination. You created him to be who you wanted him to be. God's going to go wherever he wants. You see that, one, that little dot on the top left? It's called the outlier. God makes outliers happen all the time because he does what he wants. And so the question is, if I have this trend line of where I'm expecting God to go and he acts outside of it, am I still with him or do I give up? We would hope, right, Randy? We would, we would hope. Stay with him. But the problem is that if your expectations are for God to stay on the neat and tidy path, um, you're going to be disappointed. Because God does whatever he wants. But God wants good things. Because God is good. God is good. He wants good things. <sighs> okay. Well, let's move on. Time. Time, time, time. Time means different things to both Jesus and his brothers. Jesus' brothers are like, it's, it's the right time. It is time. And, and Jesus is saying, it is not my time. It is not my time. Because Jesus... His, his time, well, and Jesus says both of them. He says, your time is always. And, but Jesus says, my time is not now. And when he's talking about his brothers, he's saying, your time is always. You could go whenever you want. And part of this is like, look, you arriving at this festival has little to no consequence. <laughs> you could go whenever you want. But then Jesus says, when I go, all of a sudden there's going to be a big hubbubaloo and people are going to make a big deal and I might get killed. Um, so, so there's that aspect of it that's very, very clear. But then there's another part of this that Jesus says, your time is now. Your time is always. And part of that is that, that when God was calling his people, he called Abraham and, and he said, he, he gave him so many instructions, but part of what he said is that you are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And that is something that we can do always. So part of what Jesus is saying is like, go out. What are you waiting for? Your time is now. You can do this now. But then there's another part of what he's saying here is that Jesus' time is about a whole lot more 
than just gaining fame. Jesus' time, what, what Jesus is looking for here is not to gain a big following. What he is looking for is to do the will of his Father. That is what he's, he is looking for. For his brothers, it's like, yes, please follow the commandments. That's what you know to do. Go and do that. You can do that anytime. You can do that all the time. But for Jesus, he says, I am going to do the will of my Father. I am not going to do things the way that people are, are for, like trying to strong arm me to do. I'm going to do it the way that my, God, that my Father is calling me to do. And that is, that's our call, too. That's our call is to listen to the will of the Father and to do what He calls us to do. So hopefully, you'll have some moments in your life where some people are saying, hey, look, man, you really got to act now if you want to buy this house. It's, I, it's, it's time. It's your time. And you can say, you think it's my time, and your time is always, but it is, it is my time to listen to the will of my Father and do what He says, because my time has not yet come. If we are leaning into the Father and listening to him, hopefully we have moments like that time and time again where conventional, logical wisdom fails us because God's wisdom is so much higher and so much stronger. Hopefully, if we are leaning into the, into the Spirit, we, that, that'll happen over and over again because we just said, well, you know what, God? I had really plotted it out and really thought about it and made the charts and everything, but you had a different way. You had a different way. This is <clears throat> John uh, 15, 18 through 27. Um, <clears throat> is a, I just got to turn there. I'm sorry. This is when Jesus says, uh, in our passage here, he says, uh, the world cannot hate you because it does, but, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. There's this issue here where the world does not hate Jesus's brothers, but it does hate Jesus himself. And part of that, I think, is a little bit of like, you know, an insult. It just says, oh, well, the world can't hate you when you're a part of it. The world can't hate you when all you do is do things to make it happy. But no, I, I call it out. Jesus says, I call them out for what they do. I, I am showing them how they are deviating away from the Father, and they don't like that because they think they're close to him. But when, what Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 27, he says, speaking to his disciples, he says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you not remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates the Father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my Father. And this fulfills what the Scripture said, that they hated me without cause. But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me 
because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. This is what he says to his disciples. He says, look, you are on a path that's going to be a lot like mine. And none of us are going to be exactly like Jesus in all of his actions because that was 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world in a different language, different culture and all of that. But in our modern day setting, in our allegiance to the Father, in our desire to follow him with every step, we will look a lot like Jesus. To the world, we will look like some people who are crazy off their rocker because we are trusting in the, in the Father that they have rejected. But Jesus says, you're not going to do it alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And if you would have your ears and your heart open to what he has to say, he would tell you everything. He would tell you the truth. And then once you are filled up with that truth, it is now your job to go forth, to go and to tell people, to go and to make a big deal about who Jesus is for the sake of the glory of God. That testimony Man, we could sit here for hours, I am sure, and I challenge you afterwards to just tell someone a testimony that happened this week even, or maybe this last month, or maybe this last year. We could, we could spend hours just saying, you would not believe what God has done in my life. And we would be like, try me, because I've seen what he's done in mine. That testimony that we have about the miracle that God does in our lives, that is undying. And that is part of our ministry to the world outside of us. Because there is plenty in this world that is possible. But our God does these miracles where he takes natural laws and he changes them. And all of a sudden, something that used to be impossible now found its way. And it was possible. But the world hated Jesus. And this is an interesting thing. Because who did Jesus come to save? The world. The very people who hate us the most are the very targets of our affection. Hallelujah, because I used to be part of those who were hating, who were on the outside, who were saying, oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. This God that you're serving, you look crazy. I used to be on the outside, but I was shown compassion. And God met me and invited me in. And just like that, just like we were invited in, we have an opportunity to invite other people in. To say, I, I know that you hate the God that I love, but I love you. That's a, this is a little, little pet peeve of mine recently. Because I used to say, like, God loves you. And, and I, still, I still do. But, um, but it's a little different when you say, I love you. Because it's easy to look at someone you don't like and say, well, God sure loves you a lot. <laughs> but to look at someone you, who hates you and to say, I love you, that's heavy. That's hard. That's part of what we're called to do, is to love the people even who ask. Well, and that's the whole thing, man. Like some of these people, it seems like they are entirely antagonistic to us and, and they just turn the world upside down by their very presence. But yet, we have a ministry to love them. And yes, to say, yeah, God loves you. God loves you. He loves you a ton. But if I just sit there from a distance and say, God loves you, like, what good, what, what am I doing? I'm saying, you're someone else's problem. Instead of saying, no, I, I love you. 
And you, you, if you would take, accept the invitation, you could be my brother or sister. I love you. I love you. The world hated Jesus, but loves his brothers. <laughs> and the crazy thing about Jesus' brothers is that they are all counted among the people who, who are at uh, Pentecost, waiting for the Holy Spirit. His brothers, at this moment, don't understand him, but then in the beginning of Acts, they are there. They are praying. They are waiting. And two of his brothers write New Testament letters, James and Jude. These are, these are men who, who did not see Jesus as Lord, and then they did. <laughs> they didn't. Then Jesus came and changed them. Even though they spent their entire lives with them, they still were on a journey with Jesus. Jesus is concerned with the will of his Father above all else. And the call of a child of God is to do the same thing. Is that what you want? And I just have some challenges, some questions to think about. If you're a guest, this is, you know, your, your first time really thinking about Jesus, or you're still just not sure what you're thinking, and maybe you've been here for a long time, but you're still just wondering about Jesus and what this is all about. Do you want to encounter God? Because if you do, and what are you waiting for? Because I can't force it to happen for you. I can't make it happen. I will pray for you. I will pray for you. I will pray for you. But it will not be until God draws you and you respond. But if you want that encounter with God, then he's drawing you. And what are you waiting for? Pray to him. Speak to him. We pray because God hears us. He says to us that he hears us when we pray. So then what are you waiting for? And if you are a Christian, then are you allowing, allowing God to be what's most important in your life? And if not, what's holding you back? So hard. <laughs> it is so hard. Because there are so many other things that are vying for our attention. So many other things that are trying to get in the way of us and God. But if he's truly... Do, do I want him to be most important in my life? And if I do, what's well, holding me back from that? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who does what he pleases. And we thank you that what you please to do are good and gracious and kind things. And sometimes that love and that grace is is conveyed in anger and, and jealousy, God. I pray that you would help us to see the full picture, Lord. Would you help us to not just simply study about you and try to learn a lot about who you are to create a line of best fit, but God, instead, would you help us to actually know you, Lord? More than any Bible teacher, more than any Bible passage, would you be the teacher in our lives of who you are, God? Would we be able to say that I know God from my own experience because he loves me and he talks to me? Instead of just saying, I read a lot about the Bible and I think I know a thing or two. God, help us to be those who are your children who really know you. God, and for those who are figuring it out, God, would you meet them in miraculous ways? God, would you perform that miracle that you performed in my heart? God, would you perform that miracle of just turning lives around? turning lives from running away from you to running towards you, God. 
We love you. You are a good and gracious God. And Lord, we want to pray that you would help send us out, God, by your spirit to go encounter the world in a whole new way, Lord. Or for some of us, just the same way that we always have, God, with you. Help us to encounter the world with you, to share your love with people and to love them ourselves, God. Lead us by your spirit, God. We pray all of this, that you would be glorified in us and through us, and we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us. We'll see you on the video later. And uh, if you are with us here in the room, we are going to be doing our uh, Children's Promotion Sunday today.